First Samuel chapter 17, verses 1 through 16. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Socha in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damim between Socha and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was old and well advanced in years. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. This is the word of the Lord. This is one of the most classic stories in all of the Bible, but it's also a classic in literature. It's a story that's told or referred to by people who don't go to church, probably never really ever read the Bible, the story of David and Goliath. Everybody knows it, at least in some measure. As a matter of fact, the story is really long. Chapter 17 is the story of the battle of David and Goliath, and it runs 58 verses. So you can thank me for not having them read all of it, right? Instead, I try to tell the story for you as we enter into it. You may remember the first time you heard the story of David and Goliath, or maybe not. Maybe it's just been such a part of your past that uh, you remember it at every stage of your life. But there may be those times where you remember it told in a certain way. I have one of those occasions, it's actually an occasion where I told it. My son was about five or six years old, and ironically his name is David, and I was given the responsibility at the church where I was pastoring in New Haven, Connecticut, um, on Children's Sunday to deliver a children's story sermon. So I chose David and Goliath. All the children and the youth were all gathered up on the first few rows in this old historic church that was built in 1816. That was before Indiana University existed. I mean, it's old. This place, as a matter of fact, 
was just reeking with history. And I know the story of David and Goliath had been told over and over again, but I, I told my son David, who was sitting on the front row, I had a plan for the story. I said, um, when I get to the point where I shout out in the story, who's man enough to fight me? And then I told him what to do. He just nodded his head. We had him all equipped. He was sitting up there with everybody else. Nobody knew what was happening. I was ranting on as Goliath the giant. I was shouting out there at the Israelites, who's brave enough to come out here and fight me? Is there a man out there tough enough to take me on? And my little boy pops up off the front row, throws his hands up, said, I will. And all the kids are like, what? <laughs> the congregation is laughing, and David charges up on the stage, and I had a slingshot that my, my dad had actually made for him, not for that occasion, just to be a boy. And he pulled out that slingshot with that fictitious stone and he slew me. Boy, it just hit me right there and I fell down. And it's back when I was young enough, I could do a really good fall without getting hurt, so boom, I just went face down. It was dramatic and I can't help but thinking of that when I think of this story. But of course, there's more to the story than just that, right? It's more than just a little guy and a big guy. It's more than a big guy with all the power and a little guy who has very little strength overcoming the mighty power of a big guy. It's way more than that. It's a part of a larger story in this whole thing called the story of God and humanity. And as you know from last week, if we were here, Saul was the king of Israel at this time. And he started out so strong. As a matter of fact, he was his own giant of a man in some ways. He stood head and shoulders over everyone else. He was a natural leader. He was that regal character that was going to lead them. And he started out so well, right up front, with a battle with the Philistines. He routed them, those enemies of the people of God. And then, very quickly in Saul's story, he turned his back on God. Or, no, let me put it another way. More importantly, God turned his back on Saul. And Saul no longer, with all his natural leadership ability and charisma, had the power of God on his side. He was no longer anointed by God. And now, enter this picture. Saul, the king of Israel, cowering in his tent as Goliath, walks onto the very valley of Elah and shouts to the armies of the living God. It's a story that's inseparably linked also from God's. See, we see stories about battle and we don't even think of God's anymore, right? We think of armaments. That's not the way they saw it. When Goliath stepped out into the valley of Elah and shouted at the Israelites. He was, in effect, shouting at God. He was saying to them, the only way either one of us can win battles is if our God is on our side, and your God is puny and small, and I'm going to defeat him because you need to come out here, and I'll strike you down to show it. That was, that was the gauntlet that was laid down. Well, what the story um, later on describes is that David was a shepherd boy when all this first started. And Goliath was doing his work. 
And while David was a shepherd, his father, who was advanced in age, had three sons on the battlefield, and he said, David, I really want to know what's going on. I'm going to send you to the front lines. Here's some grain, and here's some bread. I want you to take a care package, huh, to your brothers. But more important, come back and tell me how things are going. Because it's important. There's a lot on the line here. I need to know. So David goes. And David encounters this very thing. The way the story's written, it's no sooner did he enter the camp of the Israelites than Goliath comes out and starts roaring and throwing down the challenge again. This Goliath is an absolutely overwhelming foe. But it's more than just a big guy. It's almost like he's a secret weapon. It's almost like he portrays in one person how great the Philistines are compared to the Israelites. Now, what we know of the Philistine culture is some things, but not enough. We know they were a part of what is often called the Sea People, warring tribes along the Gaza Strip there, right around the Mediterranean Sea. And they did all kinds of damage throughout Canaan and even did battle with Egypt. Egypt did them in on one occasion. But they were fierce warriors, very, very uncultured people. They didn't have a lot of regard for human life. They were, as far as we can tell, pretty grungy and dirty. Very uncivilized, but advanced technologically in warfare. They had iron implements before anybody else did. And you see it in the description of Goliath. So it's not just a description of one man, it's a description of a huge army that's overpowering Israel. Goliath comes out and uh, he's got an armor on. And it's likely that none of the soldiers in Israel had armor. Best we can tell, there was no real armor for the people of Israel's army until late in David's reign. Old Saul had him in the story, but just the king. He comes out with an armor, but it's not just an armor. This armor's gigantic because he's gigantic. The text says that the armor that he wore on himself was 120-some pounds worth of metal. He had a helmet that protected his head. They didn't have anything like that. He had greaves on his legs, so even a small guy couldn't take him out at the legs. And he had a spear an armor in front of him, probably in front of his own armor. And he had a sword and he had a javelin. At the end of that spear or javelin, there was a steel tip or an iron tip. It weighed 15 pounds. See, what you got to see about Goliath is it's like Goliath is a tank and everybody else is on foot. He's an impenetrable army all by himself, and he represents everything behind him. So on that occasion when David hears Goliath stand out there and shout those words, he realizes probably eventually that he's been doing this for 40 days. For 40 days he's been throwing down the challenge. There's psychological warfare going on here. And the text says they're quaking in their boots, so to speak. David sent just for food and for news 
Here's Goliath in rage, and he boils inside. He turns around and he looks at all this army of Israel behind him who are shaking and quaking in the presence of Goliath, and he says, you've got to be kidding me. Really? You're going to stand here and let this Philistine defy the armies of the living God? You know what, in effect, David is saying? You can't let him stand here and blaspheme God. Come on, let's do something. Of course, they're doing nothing. I love uh, the rest of the story right at this point. He, he turns to the people who are there. And he says, what's the reward for the champion who beats Goliath? Don't you love that? What's the reward for the champion? I don't know if he's asking for himself or if he's just asking so they'll tell him and it will shame them that they're not ready to take him on. He says, what's the, what's the reward for the champion? And they say, oh, yeah, we know. As a matter of fact, the champion who beats Goliath is going to get the king's daughter. That's a good thing. You're on the inside then. Not only that, you're going to be heaped on by the king. Gold, silver, wealth. You'll be rich the rest of your life. And more than that, the king will absolve you and all your family of the responsibility of paying taxes. Now, that's a deal right there. You know, I mean, that's a deal for a prize fighter. And David looks and says, I'll take him on. I like that part because, among other things, it makes it real human. A little guy, a big reward. But honestly, that's not what it's about. David says, um, I don't know why you're not taking him on. I will. And his brothers say, listen, punk brother, it's time for you to go home and tend the sheep. You don't, need, you don't know anything about war. You're a snotty-nosed little kid. That's my paraphrase. You've been hanging out with the sheep all day, and now you're going to take him on? Just shut up and go home. You're embarrassing us. Well, unfortunately for them, Saul happens to hear what David said. And he calls him and he says, I, I heard about what you said. Come here, tell me about this. And David goes to him and says, sir, I can't imagine that we can stand here and listen to this man, Goliath, defy the armies of the living God. I'll go out and fight him myself. And Saul says, come again, kid. I thought that's what I heard. Are you serious? <laughs> David says, yes, I'll take him on. He says, you're a boy. This man has been a fighting man since he was your age. All the way up until where he is now. He's huge with experience and armament. You can't possibly, but sir, says David, I've got two stories to tell you. Both of them have to do with me being a shepherd. Saul's probably thinking, oh boy, here we go. A shepherd story. Everybody's a shepherd. What's that got to do with soldiers? Sir, he says, on one occasion while I was tending my sheep, a bear came out. And he grabbed one of my sheep, and I ran up to that bear, and I cold-cocked that dude. I killed him, and I took the sheep back. He said, that's not all. It, it happened again. A, a lion came out and grabbed the sheep, and I did the same thing to the lion. And he said, sir, here's what I want to tell you. 
the same God that delivered me from the paw of the bear and the lion is going to deliver me, he actually uses this word, from the paw of this giant. Because God did it. I just obeyed. So give me a chance. And Saul says, your courage is amazing. Here, put on my armor. David puts on his armor. It's way too big. He's clunking around. He can't even move. He says, sir, great of you to offer, but please, just let me go. <sighs> let me go as David. I just want to go as me. So he takes his sling. It wasn't a slingshot. It was one that you do like this. And he goes down to the brook and puts five stones in his bag. And he goes to face the giant. And as he enters that valley of Elah, the giant comes out and starts his battle speech. He said, you just are insulting me, kid. What are you, like a dog with a stick? You got nothing. You're just a boy. I'm going to actually kill you in a minute. And furthermore, I'm going to feed you to the birds of the field and the the birds of the air and the beasts of the field, they're going to feast on your carcass. David turns the whole thing around. Little David defies him and says, no, sir, I'll tell you what's going to happen. The opposite's going to happen. You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javel, and I come into you in the name and the power of Almighty God, and I will strike you down, and when I do, I'm going to chop off your head. And then the birds of the field are going to feast on you. The audacity. And no sooner than he had said that, he pulls out a stone, slides it into his sling, does his magic. By the way, it's interesting. Almost any shepherd could have done the same thing. They were marksmen with slings. David strikes the only place that could bring down the giant in the forehead, unprotected by the helmet, and he dies like a bullet to the skull. David didn't have a sword, so he takes Goliath's sword. Surely he had to use two hands, and he whacks off his head. And then the armies of Israel overtake the armies of the Philistines and they flee back to their country. That's a, it's an incredible story, isn't it? Oh, it's true. It's not just some sort of legend. It happened. What's the story about? I mean, besides the details. Well, first, let's remember, it's, it's a story about an emerging leader in the nation of Israel. God's at the center of the story. God has said, I found someone who I know has the courage to follow me in spite of the fact that he might not have everything that everybody else has. And I'm going to choose him, and I'm going to use him to lead us to where we need to be. It's God choosing a leader and God blessing the people through that leader's courage. 
There's another part of the story. Notice that at the heart of it all, David is outraged that God's name has been defiled. That's really what gets him going. It's not about the army behind him. It's not about protecting people as much as it is saying, you defied the living God. That's first and foremost the charge that I'm going to address you with. You defied God. See, this is not about personal insults with David. It's not just a story about the little guy and the big guy. David doesn't think any of those things. All David sees is this, God has been defied. And he's called to rectify the situation. It's about honoring God. There's something else that's interesting about the story. David sees what other people do not see. David sees with the eyes of faith. See, the eyes of faith are not the denial of reality. They're not ignoring the facts. The eyes of faith see sterling clear exactly what is in front of you and see something else. David saw everything that everybody else did, arguably even better. He saw the sword, he saw the spear, he saw the gigantic army. He saw it all, but he saw something else. He saw the power of God. He said, there's another part to this story that you guys are not thinking about. This is God's army. And if God is for us, in effect, he was saying, who can be against us? So he walks into the battle with that understanding. You know what, the fourth thing I see in this is that David uses what God's given him. He doesn't try to put on Saul's armor. Oh, he does because Saul asks him to, but he says, that's not me. I just need to be myself. God gave me what I need to do this job. God called, I can follow. Because God's almighty. I, um, I wonder about us when I think about this story, right? And I always worry about application because people go nuts with it. Sometimes. I go nuts with it sometimes. But there's something here that we need to remind ourselves of that actually comes from Ephesians. The story's about not just David and Goliath, it's about good and evil, God and Satan, the forces of darkness and the forces of light. Or to put it in Paul's words, finally, my friends who are Christ followers, I want you to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, Stand firm then. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith 
with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I want you to arm yourself because what you see in front of you is not all a reality. There's something else going behind the scene there. It's called the forces of evil. So arm yourself. <laughs> you notice what he says to put on? It's all invisible. What? The breastplate of righteousness? What's that? It's all about faith. It's all about following God. It's not about stuff. It's not about the facts. It's about the reality of the presence of God in the faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Just arm yourself with that and then go out. Just like David, you've got everything you need. So stop worrying, like I often do, about what you don't have. Don't say to yourself, I wish I had what he has. I could talk like he does. I could think like she thinks. I wish I had the courage. Just stop it already. Take what God has given you because he's given you all you need and follow God. What does that mean? I don't know what it means for you tomorrow, but it means something. Does it mean for you that you're going to have to stand up tomorrow or the next day? Just to honor God? Just to hold God's name up? That's not always easy to do. You might not think you've got the words or the intellect. Oh, yes, you do. You've got all you need. Honor God. Do you have a responsibility you feel altogether unprepared? To do, if called by God, you've got what it takes to faithfully follow God's call. Don't look around for somebody else's armor. Take what God has given you and go as David did and as Paul said in Ephesians, go in the mighty power of God, not your strength. God's strength. I don't know what um, you're facing right now, but if you're a follower of Christ, you're facing something that God has given you the ability to conquer. You've been given all you need. So just trust God and follow him. Be a David and see what God will do. Let's pray. Lord, you've been gracious to us to give us stories. Stories of courage and faith that remind us that ordinary people like David and other people, though great leaders, realized that the most important thing about their existence was their trust in you. Not their trust in their own strength, not the armament that they had, but what you'd given them was enough to follow you. So we pray this week, Lord, as, as we enter our real world, that you will give us your very real grace. 
that you will give us the eyes of faith so that we can see not just the reality in front of us, not just the data, but give us the eyes of faith to see what you see. And then, Lord, give us the courage. Um, my, how our courage fails us. How our courage must come from you. But, Lord, give us the courage to stand up and to walk straight ahead. And then, Lord, may we be so bold as to ask for the blessing that comes from following you. We thank you for the grace to do it. We thank you for the miracles that happen when we do. And we thank you for the people of God who encourage us to continue. We pray that you will help us to be disciples of Christ this week in a new way. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.